Praise God. The um, verses that we are going to look at, I'm going to read them again. Um, just two verses this morning. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's just pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. Father, we can be in so many different areas, Lord. Knowing that the Christmas season is upon us, seems like the shops have gone mad, the world has gone mad, Lord. Everyone rushing around. But thank you for this hour of peace. And come away from the madness and the craziness, Lord. Come into this place where we can be still and hear your voice. Pray, Father God, that this moment will be a moment, Father, that will make a difference in our lives. Lord, we want to hear from you. Man has nothing to say, Lord. I have nothing to say. Lord, if I depart from your word, then I'm, I'm the worst of sinners, Lord. Father, I want to stay close to your word and allow your word to speak. So gracious God, I pray that you might speak through your word. Bless your people here today, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be upon the preacher, the signer, and the hearer alike today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got a friend over in Brentwood called um, Colin. And this guy has climbed Mount Everest. Now, he's a braver man than me, but um, I've done a few um, climbs in Scotland. They weren't mountains, they were probably little hills. But they felt like a mountain. You know, when I'm climbing up there, I thought I'm going up Everest right here. But when I got to the top of the mountain, I looked out and able to see the view that that mountain or that small hill that I climbed gave me. And we have looked at last week, we have climbed and landed on a verse that was like a mountain peak verse. That verse that said, God demonstrates his love to us by this. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's a mountaintop verse. And when you land on that, you look out because that verse causes you to look out the landscape and you can see the great things that God has done for you. And so what we have here this morning in these two verses is some of the great things that God has done. This morning, I want to speak to you about the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of a change in a man or a woman's life. When they become a born-again Christian, when they become a bona fide believer, there's a change. And they go by that name Christian because there's a change in their lives. Sadly, today, we have many people call themselves Christians. And they call themselves Christians, but they know nothing 
about the blood of Jesus Christ. Go along to Catholic churches and they will have this communion and they will talk about the blood, but they will know nothing about the blood of Jesus. You go along to schools and you go... Davenant School, just around the corner here, and, and apparently, you know, all the parents are meant to be churchgoers. That's all they are, most of them. Churchgoers. Ask them about the blood of Jesus Christ, and they won't be able to tell you anything about the power of the blood of Christ. You see, it's no good saying that you're a Christian by name, and many people in our society do that. They say that they're a Christian by name, but they know nothing about the blood of Christ. So I'm going to speak to you this morning about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the first thing I'm going to say about it is the power that the blood of Christ has. You see, the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus is one and the same thing. We have it in our Bible reading, the first verse of these two verses. Okay, look at them again. Since we have now been justified by his blood, it's mentioned in the first part of that verse 9. It's also mentioned on the first part of verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So the blood and the death of Jesus are one and the same thing. The Bible speaks about the life being in the blood. The death of Jesus and the blood of Jesus are one and the same thing. Now to a Christian, the blood of Jesus is so very important. It's important for three reasons. The blood of Jesus is important because it speaks about, because it atones, or it speaks about the atonement. It's important because it speaks about being justified. It's also important because it speaks about being reconciled. The blood of Jesus does these three things. It atones, it justifies, and it reconciles. Let's look at atonement first. We looked at this before, but it is a very important term. The word atonement, or to atone, actually means to cover, to put out of sight. So you no longer can see the sin, it is covered, it's put out of sight. But there's another word for atonement. I was preaching a few weeks ago, and and I was speaking to my friend Jim Hogue, and we was having a little chat at the end. And there's another word for atonement I want to introduce to you this morning. This word is only found in in older versions of the Bible. But let me just read it to you. Here's a verse. It says this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What does that mean? The word propitiation. Other versions in your Bible will use the word atonement, which means to cover. But how about this word, propitiation? What does that mean? Well, it actually means to appease or to satisfy justice. To punish one person in order to satisfy or to appease another. 
Let me give you a story to help you understand this. There's a, a state in America where um, the death penalty was, was used. And in that state, there were two brothers, two twins. These two twins, they grew up, they're very identical in every way. And as they was growing up, we recognized that one twin was really, really bad, really naughty. You know, he, he grew up in school and he was always getting into fights and he was stealing things, you know, from the teachers, you know, taking their apples out of their bags and, 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 and going around doing some silly little things as a little child. But the other student, the other young boy, was completely different. He was a good student. And as they grew up and they moved into their teens and into the late 20, early 20s, you know, the, 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 the first twin got himself into so much trouble. Started dealing in drugs and, and getting drunk at weekends and, and doing some crazy things. Whereas the other twin got a job as a, a school teacher and was teaching um, students in a local school. About two o'clock one morning, there was a knock on the door. Find a knock on the door. The good the, 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 at, the, at the twin's house was a teacher. He comes downstairs, opens the door, and there's his twin brother standing there. Come inside, come inside. He brought him inside. And he's standing there with a white t-shirt on and a knife in his hand. And he said, I don't know what happened, he said. We're going into a complication with this guy. And, and I stabbed him and I killed him. I killed a man, he said. What should I do? You've got to help me. The brother looked at him and he hears a helicopter flying above and sirens coming down the road. So his brother thought on his feet. He said to him, listen, take off your t-shirt. What do you mean? Just take off your t-shirt. So the young man took off his t-shirt that had blood stains on it. And the good twin took off his white t-shirt and he placed it on his brother. That is atonement. That is he's covering his brother. He's taking off the filthy blood-stained t-shirt and he's putting on a clean t-shirt. That is atonement, but propitiation is different. You see, he goes one step further. He puts on the t-shirt onto his brother and he takes the knife that his brother used to stab this man and he puts on his brother's bloody t-shirt on him and then the police arrives they arrest him take him down to the electric chair and kills him justice has been served that is propitiation Someone else had to take the punishment for this young boy. Someone else had to die in this young boy's place. And what happened? His twin brother took the punishment. His twin brother took the blame. And his twin brother died in his place. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is that big, clean brother. And you and I had that bloody t-shirt on. And someone has to take the blame. Someone has to die in our place. And the Bible says that Jesus' blood that was shed on that cross took your place. Amen? That's what happened. Jesus Christ 
atones for your sin. Praise be to God. So the blood of Christ is so important because it atones. But also the blood of Jesus also justifies. The blood of Jesus justifies. A born again Christian will know what this means to be justified. I mentioned this a few weeks ago because over in the States, a, a young man of 19 years of age was convicted of a double murder. Two witnesses placed him at the scene of the crime, saw him, what he did, and and so on and so forth, and they testified against him, and he received two life sentences. His name was McIntyre. 23 years later, 23 years in prison, those two witnesses came back and said, we lied. This young man now in his late 30s, early 40s, got brought back to the courtroom and the judge turned around and said, your sentence is completely squashed. You are free to go. And there's a picture of him on YouTube, on, 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 the, YouTube, on the internet, hugging his mum and his dad because he was set free because the two witnesses retracted their statement, said that they lied. Now the thing is, McIntyre, wasn't guilty. Others had lied. Others had given false evidence. But the sad thing is, you and I, we are guilty. The record of our sins can be written down. You see, the Bible says that God not only knows our sins, but he knows the motives of our sins. He knows the, um, the secret sins. You know, you're sitting here today and some of the things people know about you, they know you've done a bit of naughty stuff here and there. But there's things that are secret that no one else knows. But God says, I know about them. No one else knows. Your wife might know. Your children might know. But God says, I know your sins. And so God has you before him. And before God quotes the Bible verse that he probably will quote, For the wages of sin is death. Before he quotes that, he looks down at your record. And the blood of Jesus comes upon that record. And the records of all your guilt, all your secret sins, disappears. One Christmas when my children were growing up, they're only very small, and um, they used to love this toy and that we bought them for Christmas. And, and it was a little square little thing that you can draw on. You can draw and you can write. And then after you draw a writ, you can wipe it back or pull a lever back and it all disappears. It was fascinating. They loved it before the iPads came out. Okay, right? But they loved it. They could just write as much as they want and then wiped it back and it was completely clear. That is what justify means. When God places the blood of Jesus upon you, all your record, all the sin that you've done, all the secret sins, all the wickedness, when you stand before God, it's as if it never happened. Hallelujah. And it's never happened because the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. That's what justifies means. So the blood not only atones, but it also justifies. 
third thing I said the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus also reconciles. Now some of you may, some of you historians out there, you may know that the uh, World War I started with the, assassinate, the assassination of a royal prince of Hungary, a man by the name of Archduke Ferdinand. He was assassinated on the 28th of June 1914 and which triggered a chain of events which had Britain, France, and Ireland and Russia on one side and on the other side he had Germany, Austria and Hungary on the other side. These were known as the central powers. And that war broke out in 1914-1915. But it was a treaty of peace was made in Versailles. I don't know if you've been to Versailles, just outside Paris. It's beautiful, the Palace of Versailles. If you've ever been on a holiday, you've been there. It's a, one of the most beautiful buildings in all of France. Well, in that building, the Palace of Versailles, there was a peace treaty drawn up, which ended that war and brought peace. 37 million people died in that war. And that peace treaty was signed. But the funny thing is, it only lasted 33, 35 years. Because World War II came. And another 80 million people died in World War II. But you know what? In order to bring peace between man and God, only one person had to die. In order to bring peace between you and God, in order to reconcile the two together, only one, not 80 million or 37 million, one person had to die. And the Bible says Jesus Christ was that one man. And because he laid down his life, forgiveness and reconciliation was bought by his blood. And so we have the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood atones, reconciles, and justifies. That's the power of the blood of Christ. Let me move on, not only to the power, but I want to speak to the protection of the blood of Christ. Paul here has been mentioning a lot about God's wrath. If you have followed me at all in Romans, you will know that the Bible speaks a lot about God's anger. And so we, we have it in Romans chapter 1. Um, so let me go back to the verse, Romans 5, 9. Here it goes. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? This business about God's wrath has been spoken about by Paul in Romans. So in Romans chapter 1, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. There's the wrath of God in chapter 1. Again in chapter 2, Paul turns around and says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. So God's wrath is coming. But Paul says we've been saved from God's wrath. What does he mean? Maybe Paul was thinking about what happened in the Old Testament. Some of you might know the story. 
Because in the Old Testament, God said to Moses, Moses, go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you don't let my people go, I will send plagues among you. Well, Pharaoh didn't want to let anyone go. And so God sent plagues. And the final plague that God sent was the death of the firstborn son. And the death of the firstborn animal. So here's a verse that we, we look at in, Rome, in, in, in Exodus. On that same night, this is God speaking, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what God was saying is, he says to the, to the Israelites, listen, you go into your house and you kill that lamb or that, that, that animal and you take its blood and you put it on the doorpost of your house. And two things will happen. When I see that blood... I will pass over you. But not only when I see it, but when you see it, when you see that blood on your doorpost, you will have the assurance to know that you are under God's protection. So he says here, you know, I, the, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. So you will know that God's protection is upon me. That when the wrath of God comes down upon Egypt, and when God destroys and destroys every firstborn animal, every firstborn male child, I will be protected. And God came down over Egypt, destroying an angel, and as he moved over, the angel saw the blood here. He saw the blood there. He saw the blood in that home. He saw the blood over there. He saw the blood over there and he passed over. The wrath of God did not come down upon that house. My dear friends, Paul is saying this morning, have you got the blood of Christ on your life? Because that's the only thing that's going to protect you. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that will cause the wrath of God to pass over you. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 9, how much more will, will we be saved from the wrath of God? If we've been justified by his blood, the blood will save us also from God's anger. The question is, my dear friend, are you protected? I think I said this in one of my sermons. I'm sure you've got car insurance if you're driving. I'm sure you've got house insurance. I'm sure that if you're married, you've got your spouse insured. You're covered. But are you insured? Are you covered? Are you protected from the wrath of God? How can I be protected, you may say? How can that be true for me? Jesus Christ died. So you can put his, your faith in his blood and on his death. So there's power in the blood. There's protection in the blood. 
And finally, there's also provision in the blood. Let's go back to Romans 5. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's one thing to be reconciled, but here it says that we're going to be saved through his life. I can hear someone saying to me, I don't understand, pastor. I don't understand, preacher. I thought I was saved by his death. He, the, the fact that he went on the cross and he died for me, I thought that saved me. Now you're saying that we're saved by his life. I don't understand. The Bible speaks of being saved in three tenses and in three senses. Past, present, and future. The Bible speaks of you having been saved. So we go to Timothy, and so uh, Paul says to Timothy, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He has saved us. He rescued us from hell. He's rescued us from the grave. He rescued us from from going to hell. He has saved us. That's a done deal. That's in the past. But he's also saved us in the future. Look what the Bible says here in Romans 13. And do this. Understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, I like it when, when Phil Roberts does the communion. Sometimes he says, you know, we do this communion one less time. Right, Phil? One less time. The reason why we do it one less time is because our salvation is nearer, nearer, nearer than when we first believed. You're in church one less time. You're hearing my voice, praise God, for one less time. I know you're saying that, hallelujah. One less time. You're singing praises to God one less time because your salvation is drawing closer. Every day we leave, um, breathe, every day we wake up, our salvation is coming. So it's a past thing, but also it is a future thing. I want to settle down here with this verse here. It is a present thing. And the reason why it's a present thing The Bible says, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Listen to me carefully. This is very important. Jesus saves us because he's alive today. What is he doing? What is he doing? Well, Romans, we're going to come on to this in Romans 8. But in Romans 8, this is what Christ is doing. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
I want to tell you, Jesus is not doing nothing in heaven. Jesus is not sitting down and relaxing with his feet up on the table. Jesus, when he said it is finished, didn't mean that all of his work is finished. No, Jesus is still working in heaven. What is he doing? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's asking God about you. He's speaking to God for you. He's representing God in his presence, in God's presence. Jesus is at work for you this morning. And I want to tell you, if Jesus wasn't praying for you, if Jesus wasn't praying for me, I don't know if I would be standing here right this morning. But the fact is, he's praying for you. In fact, the Hebrew writer makes it even more clearer. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. Hallelujah. He always lives to intercede. That's what intercession means. It means to pray, to speak, to cry out, to call God on your behalf. He ever lives to intercede for you. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is saving you this morning because he's praying for you. That's why you're in church this morning. I thought about this morning, I say, Lord, I'm so glad that you're praying for me because I'm feeling so weak this morning. But he strengthened me to know that Jesus is praying for me. Isn't that amazing? He's praying for you. That's his life. His death has saved you. Salvation is coming down the road. But today, you're being saved. Because Christ is praying for you. But not only that, Paul takes on another step. Paul turns around and says this in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, he says. My old life is gone, but Christ lives in me. I'm being saved today. I'm a Christian today. I am walking with God today. Why? Because Christ lives in me. Then, this is not Paul's idea. This is Jesus' idea. Jesus speaks to the disciples and he says to them, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Jesus said that. In a little while, the world's going to see me. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to the tomb. But when I rise from the dead, because I live, says Christ, you will live also. You are being saved. The grave could not hold him. The tomb was absolutely empty and barren. Death was swallowed up in victory. In fact, the word of God says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It has no victory. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive today. And because he's alive, you can live also. So you're saved. In the past, God has rescued you from hell, rescued you from the grave, forgiven your sin, sanctified you, washed you and cleansed you from sin. You're saved. But you're also saved in the future. 
Because your salvation is coming. You're doing church one less time. You're taking communion one less time. You're hearing a preacher one less time. And then it will be over. Because you'll be in the presence of the living God. But today, and Paul stresses this very clearly, you are being saved by his life. He's praying for you in glory. And not only is he praying for you, but he ever lives in you if you're a believer today. A great preacher called Charles Wesley, one of the greatest preachers in England I have ever seen. He wrote a hymn in 1747. In this hymn, it says this. It's actually called Love Divine or Love Excelling. And it says this. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless may we be. Let us see our whole salvation. Not just the beginning part. Not just the middle part, but also the end part. Let us see the whole salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our stand. Till we cast our crowns before you. Lost in wonder, love. And praise. I quoted that hymn because it's a wonderful hymn. People know know it, and they are amazed that we can be lost. But it's a in wonder, love, and praise. But there's a line in that hymn that many people forget. Because God has done so much for us, He has saved us from sin. He's praying for us even now. And one day our salvation is coming. Because he's done so much for us. There's one line in that hymn that many people forget. And this is the line. It says this. Take away the love of sinning. Lord. Take away the love of sinning. You have done so much for me, oh God. You saved me from death, hell and the grave. You're praying for me constantly, every day. And because you live, I'm living as well. And one day I'm going to see you face to face. Now, Lord, take away from me the love of sinning. I don't want it. I want to hate the sin that you hate, oh God. And I want to love the things that you love. Lord, take away the love of sinning. That's what Charles Wesley wrote, 1747. And as he wrote it, he wrote it for himself. As he was writing, it was words coming out from his own heart. And he wrote it saying, oh God, even though I'm a Christian, even though I'm saved, I still do things that I love that is evil and wicked. Lord, take it away from me, was his cry. How about you? Are you going to be praying the same thing? It's all well and good saying, amen, praise God, I'm saved. It's all well and good saying, thank God for what he's done for my life. Thank God for the forgiveness. Thank God he's praying for me. Thank God I'm going to glory. But it's okay saying hallelujah. But how about turning that into a prayer? Lord, take away the love that I have for the things that you hate. Take it away from me, oh God. And cause me to be the man that rejoices 
in my whole salvation. May the beginning of my faith, when I was so excited about being a Christian, may my faith where it ends, may I still be so excited, if not more, that I belong to Christ. And so we have these wonderful verses in Romans. Since we have now been justified by his blood, oh, that blood atones. Oh, that blood justifies. Oh, that blood reconciles. We have been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Because he lives. Another hymn that I used to sing of the young boy. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. That's the key of our Christian walk. He is alive. And because he lives, you will live also. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these truths. They're amazing. Lord, some of them may go over our heads, Lord, but oh God, may some of it drop into our hearts. If only 1% drops into our hearts, that we know that you love us so much that you are praying for us. If some of it just drops into our hearts, oh God, then we will leave this church rejoicing and asking you, oh God, to do a work in us, taking away the love that we have for this world and replacing it for a love that we have for your kingdom. Oh God, oh God. Do a work in us, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to stand and sing again.